Welcome, my friends. Today we are going to do a Chumash Climax class on the final verses of the first parsha, the first Torah portion of the fifth book. Both go by the same name, Devarim. Today's class is dedicated by Debbie and Victor Janowski in loving memory of Debbie's father, a very special Yid, whose name was Benny Karakowski, Dovber Ben Eliyahu Aryeh. And although this was not planned to begin with, the content of what we will talk about today very much connects to the soul and the mission and the vision of Reb Benny Karakowski, who had tremendous love for the Chayelitzvah Ali Yisrael. And today's class is going to be about Moshe Rabbeinu's military maneuvers, his strategic planning for conquering Eretz Canaan so that it might be established as Eretz Yisrael. And of course, everything is by divine design, so may the Torah studied bring him nachas on high, and may we together share only good news, hopefully culminating with a time in which no battles will have to be fought because Mashiach will put an end to that forever. And that hopefully happens very speedily and in our days. Amen. With that little preamble, I would like to direct your attention to the final verses of Parshas Devarim. In the seventh reading, we begin to speak about the responsibility that was given to the Shvatim, the tribes of God and Reuven. At the end of the sixth reading, we speak of the lands that were given. And in the beginning of Shvi, the seventh reading, Moshe Rabbeinu reiterates the deal that he had made with Bnei God and Bnei Ruvain. You will not sit back and watch your brethren enter and conquer the land of Canaan. You will go with them. In fact, you will go at their head. And then in the very final verses, we hear about instructions for the battle with Canaan. And this is read ultimately from Maftir. But really from verse 18 and onward, we have Moshe Rabbeinu first giving battle instructions, detailing the strategy for the commandos, the troops of Bnei Gad And then he speaks or instructs Yehoshua, his future successor. It's fascinating that the word Yehoshua here uniquely is spelled with a vav, two vavs, spelled in the fullest sense, yud hey vav, and then shin vav ayin, Yehoshua. Typically that second vav is vowelized, but not written. The Yeshua Leib Diskin pointed out that the name Yehoshua shows up in the Bible 31 times. And that's meaningful. It's meaningful because Yehoshua is the one who leads the Jewish people in establishing themselves in their eternal homeland. He is the one who leads the battles to conquer the land of Canaan and establish Eretz Yisrael. And the land of Canaan was populated by, you guessed it, 31 fiefdoms. Lamed Aleph Malachim. 31 magistrates and rulers, each had their own little armed forces, and some of them were quite formidable. And Yehoshua is the one who leads the battle against the 31 kings. And because he leads the battle against 31 kings, his name 
is mentioned 31 times, giving him the force of spirit so that he might be able to use the spirit of force in conquering and establishing Am Yisrael's eternal homeland. And here is the 31st time, and because this is the 31st time where now Yehoshua has been given his strength and fullness, the name is spelled in its full iteration, Yehoshua. It's also interesting to note that when you spell Yehoshua with that second Vav, you end up with not five, but six letters in his name. And we know that Yehoshua and the letters of his name are a big deal. He was originally called Hoshea. It was Moshe Rabbeinu who added the Yud in the front of his name, modifying it from Hoshea to Yehoshua. And there's a famous teaching about the Yud that was once attached to the name Sorai, the mother of the Jewish people. And Sarai's name was changed to Sarah from being my princess. She became the people's princess. But the Yud was Mitraim. The Yud was disappointed and unhappy. It is, uh, if you will, floating about, seeking mission and purpose. Maybe like an email that's sent off into cyberspace and keeps bouncing around because the email address is wrong or is a dot missing. And finally, it is Moshe Rabbeinu who retrieves that email, that proverbial energy, and downloads it into a, an infusion of strength for Yehoshua. And he says, Yudke, now your name begins with a Yud and a He, so Yudke, the name of God, Yehoshiacha, God will help you, from the machinations of the scouts that Moshe Rabbeinu sent. They are the ones who made the nefarious decision not to enter the land of Eretz Yisrael, delaying the self-actualization of Am Yisrael's purpose for nearly four decades. And so, Yehoshua now has an added Vav. And Vav, well, Vav is the numeric equivalent to six, and there are six characters now in Yehoshua's name. And it's, it's telling. According to Rabbeinu Yoel, one of the early Rishonim, he says, Mole Vav, it's written with an extra Vav, which spells six, Beshesh Atores Nesater. Moshe Rabbeinu, at this point, crowned Yehoshua with six diadems, if you will, or six extraordinary virtues that became his. He was given the power, the responsibility of promulgating Torah, and the oral Torah is comprised of Shisha Sdorim, six orders of Mishnah. In the Medrash Minyan, we emphasize that Yehoshua, at this point, is fully empowered. V'yas Yehoshua Tzuvesi. At this point, I have instructed Yehoshua. But ein tzivu ziruz. The instruction here is an empowerment, and so Yehoshua is given the strength to lead the Jewish people in battle. And what are the six virtues that Yehoshua was granted? That is the notion of Hanoi. Hanoi freely translated as beauty. Hakoyach, which can be translated as force or power. Ha'oysher, the affluence and wealth. Yehoshua could not be swayed by rich magnates or people with money couldn't push him around because Yehoshua was wealthy in his own right. 
Hachachma. He was granted tremendous wisdom and insight. Hanavua, he was graced with prophecy. And finally now, he reaches the apex of his self-development and actualization despite his incredible humility and always remaining in the shadows, despite his having been a bridesmaid and never the bride for 40 years. He is now graced with Nesiut, with the presidential powers, the leader of the Jewish people. And so, empowered with all six of these virtues, Yehoshua is poised and ready to lead the Jewish people into the land of Eretz Yisrael. And what does Moshe Rabbeinu instruct him? What are his parting words to Yehoshua? He says, Ves Yehoshua tsuveti ba'it hahi lemar. And so, Yehoshua, I commanded at that time, saying, You see, you saw everything that God has done to these two kings, Sichon and Og. So God will do to all the kingdoms who will stand in your way. You're going to the other side of the Jordan River. You'll face the 31 kings, but as these two have fallen, the rest will fall as well. Do not be fearful. Because it is the Lord God who God is doing battle for you. Do not be fearful. Although fear going into battle is not an unreasonable thing, Moshe Rabbeinu emphasizes that Yehoshua should not be fearful because he must know that as God led the Jewish people in battle against the kings of Sichon and Og, two of the mightiest military leaders having the most formidable armed forces in the, in the Middle East, only second to Egypt itself, Egypt who God had vanquished 40 years prior, Yehoshua should not be fearful. And with good courage, he should lead the Jewish people into the land of Canaan. The Or HaChayim says, Pirish Tzuveti. What is the meaning of, I instructed, I commanded. Lebal Yehoshua, the command that he received from Moshe was, Be not fearful. Do not fear them. Lotirum, as we read at the end of the parsha, and the reason that in the verses we hear about the lands of God and Reuven, and only afterwards the battle, is because the lands of God and Reuven, really the lands of Sichon Va'og, and that alludes to Nefilat Sichon Va'og, they're having fallen before the Jewish people in stunning fashion, and therefore since they fell and their land was apportioned and given to Bnei God and Bnei Ruven, the future will reflect the very same realities. Do not be afraid. Do not worry. It is true that I am speaking about Bnei God and Ruven as being powerful. We'll come back to that in a moment. But ultimately, it is not their military might or wherewithal. It is the force of spirit because it is God, Hashem Alekechem, Hu Hanilchem Lachem. So, although I am making sure that you have the spirit of force on your side and your commandos will go forth in a pioneering fashion, that's true. But ultimately, victory is assured. Success is guaranteed, not because of the spirit of force, but rather 
the force of spirit because Hashem will do battle for you. So why do we emphasize the participation of Bnei God and Bnei Reuven if Moshe Rabbeinu wishes to emphasize God doing battle for the Jewish people? Miraculous victories rather than miracle victories. Military victories, it's about miracles, not military. So the Orochayim says something very interesting. Indeed, Bnei God and Bnei Ruvain will be the pioneering force. They will go forth. They are the original Green Berets, the Sayeret Matkal. However, you must know that it is not even the force of their spirit. Or rather, the, the spirit of their force. It is the force of their spirit. Because, One cannot compare the virtue, the spiritual force and ability of all 12 tribes to the merit that would be accrued through nine and a half Shvatim who go forth in battle. And so you will have the entirety of the Jewish people. And when you have the entirety, all tribes represented, you'll have God's blessing with you. Extraordinary things are going to happen and unfold for you. And that's really how the Orachayim explains these final verses. And this is, if you will, Moshe Rabbeinu's parting words to Yehoshua, at least as he articulates them in this first portion of Deuteronomy. Here he has recapitulated everything that is meaningful, everything that is important insofar as the history of the last 40 years is concerned. And now Moshe Rabbeinu will begin to speak about, well, Torah and mitzvot. So it's pretty clear that the instructions to Yehoshua seem to have a lot to do with Bnei Gad and Bnei Ruven, with the battles that they would perform. And in fact, one could argue that the verses of 18 and 19, which are the final verses dealing with Bnei Gad and Bnei Ruven, are no longer dealing really with only Bnei Gad and Bnei Ruven's settling the lands on the other side of the Jordan River, but rather their military involvement in the conquering of the land of Canaan which is the message from the verse, verse 20 and onward. And it is the theme that closes Parshat Dvar. So let's take a look at Moshe Rabbeinu's military maneuvers. Let's take a look at the strategy he put in place. What did he tell the children of God and Reuven? How did he plan for this conquest? For the balance of our lesson, we'll be looking deeply into verse 18 in the third chapter of Deuteronomy, and we'll also contrast this with the words that Moshe Rabbeinu himself used to the very same group of people back in the 32nd chapter of the book of Numbers. Let's study the verse together. Vo'atzav eschem ba'es hahi. Moshe Rabbeinu here is speaking to the Bnei God and Reuven. As Rashi says, these words are not directed to all of the Jewish people, but rather Livnei Reuven, Uvnei God, to the children of the tribes of Reuven and God, respectively. That is who he's speaking to now. And we know this because, well, look what the verse says. That's who I spoke to at that time. Lamar saying, Hashem Elokeichem, the Lord God, He has given you this land. We speak here about Transjordan. He has given you Transjordan. Who is he speaking to? The entirety of the Jewish people? 
the other nine and a half tribes will not be remaining in Transjordan. Clearly, he's speaking to Bnei God and to Bnei Ruvain. He has given you Haaretz Hazot Lerishta. He has given you this land so that you might receive it, occupy it, make it yours. Chalutzim Tavru. An expeditionary pioneering force shall you be going lefnei achechem before your brothers bnei Yisrael, the children of Israel, kol bnei choil, all of the warriors, all of the troops. You will go before bnei Yisrael and all the troops. Rashi says lefnei achechem before your brothers. It was the children of God and Reuven who went in the front. Before the rest of the nation. Before the other troops arrived. Why? Rashi says, Because they were mighty warriors. And the enemies would simply fall before them. Now, it's very interesting to point out that when the Torah comes along and says that Moshe Rabbeinu made a deal with the children of God in Reuven, the deal was that you shan't remain here in Transjordan and let your brothers go to war. That's not acceptable. All of Am Yisrael was involved in conquering these lands for you. You now have to participate in the battle to conquer the rest of Eretz Yisrael. Having said this, it's very important for us to point out that that's not a reason for Bnei God and Bnei Ruvain to be on the front lines. It's a reason for them to participate. And the Maharal of Prague suggests that that is exactly what Rashi is trying to explain. It is precisely this issue that bothered Rashi here. One moment. Bnei God and Bnei Ruvain received land in Transjordan. That's nice. They wanted to remain there. Moshe said, hey, that's not appropriate. You'll stay here, settle these lands, provide for your families while your brothers go to war? That's simply not fair. If they go to war, you go to war as well. B'nai God and B'nai Ruvain readily agreed. But here Moshe Rabbeinu goes further and he says, Chalutzim Tavru. Not only must you participate, you must be the expeditionary force. You have to lead them in battle. Why do they have to lead them in battle? For this, Rashi explains, Lefi, the reason was the reason that they were asked and expected to lead the Jewish people in battle. That's Lafisha because they were mighty. Why should they have to risk their lives being on the front lines? The front lines always sustains the largest amount of fatalities in any conflict. The soldiers who landed at Normandy and Omaha, they were the ones who sustained the worst losses, probably in all of World War II, certainly in the Allied battles of World War II. The front, the expeditionary, the first forces cast into enemy fire? Why should Bnei God or Meruven be at greater risk? And the answer is because you have greater ability, greater wherewithal. Very important lesson. God expects us not to do as well as everybody else. 
He expects us to do as well as we can. He expects us to perform up to par. Up to par does not mean measuring up to your peers. Up to par means measuring up to your potential. It's very different. That, that's what was expected of Bnei God and Reuven in their time. It's really what's expected from every one of us. The only question that you must ask yourself on a regular basis is, am I doing as well as I can? But let's move forward, because that's not really the thrust of this morning's class. And Rashi goes on, Shanemar, how do we know they're mighty? Because it is said later. We'll hear about this in chapter 33 of Deuteronomy, where Moses will bless the tribes. He says, Vitoraf Zroya Afkodkait that they have the might or ability to tear off head and shoulder. And that's not just the shampoo here. Really means the hand and, and the head. As Rashi there explains, those who fell into the hands of Bnei Godu could be seen. The corpses were different because they were so mighty with a single fell swoop, they would literally sever head and hand from their enemies. Maka'achas, one incredibly powerful movement of their swords. So that all sounds very nice. And it seems to be a repetition of what we read earlier. And that's what Deuteronomy is, a repetition. Is it really, though? Well, let's take a look. Let's see how this verse shows up in chapter 32, the end of the previous book. In verse 17, Bnei God and Bnei Ruven acknowledge their ability. They know that they are more adept at warfare than the rest of their brothers. We shall go forth in a pioneering spirit. We shall arm ourselves and motivate ourselves to go in the front of the children of Israel. Until we have brought them into their place. So Rashi says, At the head of the troops. And Rashi says, Because they were mighty. It sounds almost exactly what he says earlier. Here, Rashi invokes the words, Almost verbatim, except that Rashi adds a few words, And their enemies would fall before them. Sounds almost exactly the same, except that it isn't. The Rebbe, in analyzing, contrasting these two verses, seem to be kindred, points out that there are a number of differences. In Numbers 32, verse 17, the forward movement of the tribes of God and Reuven are articulated in the verbiage of Rashi as Yamdu Beroshe Gayosos. They will stand at the head of the troops. However, in our Torah portion, Deuteronomy 3, verse 18, Rashi says, 
Hoilchim Lifnei Yisrael. Not at the head of the troops, but before the rest of the nation, before the rest of the warriors. In other words, if I am to read Numbers 32, 17 with Rashi's commentary, what's being told to me is that the Bnei God, the Bnei Ruven, will not comprise an independent fighting force. They will not be the proverbial commandos. They will simply be occupying the front lines in, in the regular army. The infantry will move forward, or the cavalry will move forward, and the front lines will be manned by Bnei God and Bnei Ruven. They will be the first to ride or trot or walk into battle. But when I read Deuteronomy, when Rashi says, Lifnei does not mean at the head of, Lifnei means before. In other words, the Rebbe says, this means that Bnei God and Bnei Ruvain are going to proceed forward as a separate fighting force. We're being introduced to the world's first special forces. It was Moses. It was Moses the military maven who conceived of the idea of a separate fighting force. Special forces, commandos. We call them Green Berets in Canada. In Israel today, they're called Sayeret Matkal. This idea was pioneered by Moses. He said, Bnei Godim Bnei will be a separate unit. They will be the unit that attacks first. And only after they attack, they'll be followed by the regular armies, the rest of Bnei Yisrael. So clearly, there's been some kind of shift in the military strategy that was being mapped out by Moses. Because in the end of Numbers, Moshe Rabbeinu does not expect a second or unique force to be established. He never mentions anything about special forces. He's talking only about a regular army. Somehow Moses has honed his military ability now. And he's come up with this incredible idea of commandos and special forces. And he's given Bnei God and Bnei Ruven that responsibility. It's very clear. We can actually see this in the verse, in the scripture itself. In the scripture itself, in the book of Numbers it says, We shall pioneer forward before the children of Israel. However, when Moses says, here's my instructions, he says, Chalutzim ta'avru lifnei achechem. Lifnei achechem means in front of your brothers. Lifnei b'nei Yisrael here means in numbers in the front of the children of Israel. But lifnei achechem b'nei Yisrael, by inserting the word achechem, your brothers, Moses creates daylight between the two groups. He doesn't say lifnei b'nei Yisrael is interpreted by Rashi as meaning at the head of the children of Israel. But here the verse inserts an extra word. There's something else going on here. It's lefnei achechem, your brothers, not you. There's a distinction drawn. They are your brothers, but you are no longer the same homogeneous force. They are the regular armies. You are the special forces. 
And so we're hearing essentially of the creation of the world's first special forces, and this could be a, you know, a curio, trivia question if you want. Who created the first commandos? Whose idea was this? the formation of special forces? And the answer is Moses. But this begs a very important question. Why did Moses change his attitude? Why did he shift his strategy? This was only a few months earlier. This happened in the summer, and Moses now is speaking to them on Rosh Chodesh Shvat in the winter. Why the shift from summer to winter? Why did Moshe Rabbeinu suddenly begin to think it would not be sufficient to have the children of Bnei God and Reuven, the tribes of Transjordan, in front of the regular army? Why did he suddenly realize that now it would be necessary to isolate them, to form a special forces or unique unit of commandos who would attack first in a strategic way? The Rebbe's answer to this very powerful question is not only very insightful, not only will it explain and answer the shift in strategy, but it becomes a very important lesson for us in today's day and age. And I mean us in today's day and age, not only as Israel continues to defend its citizens and fortify its borders, but for us in the fight against illness, infection, and the COVID-19 pandemic. And this is how it goes. The difference between these two eras, the summer period, in which Moshe Rabbeinu formulated the original strategy, and now the winter, where Moshe Rabbeinu has adjusted his sights and honed his military visions and planning for Joshua's conquest, the difference that Rebbe says is this. At the time when Moshe Rabbeinu was occupied with giving the lands to Bnei God and Bnei Ruven, he still had hope. Hope that he would be allowed to enter the Holy Land of Israel. Hope that he would lead the Jewish people into the Promised Land. As we read in the commentary of Rashi, in Parshat Pinchas, back in chapter 27 of the book of Numbers, in verse 12, and this is a quote, Once Moshe Rabbeinu had entered to the inheritance, the land inheritance of the tribes of God and Ruvain, Samach. He was filled with joy or he rejoiced. Va'amar, and he said to himself, Kimeduma, seems to me, shehuter li nidri, that God's vow proscribing me from entering the promised land has been lifted. Because I'm, I'm here in the promised land. I am playing a role, a part, in the apportioning of the land that will be known as Israel, because greater Israel includes both sides of the Jordan River. The Rebbe says that's why Moshe Rabbeinu said to Bnei God and Bnei Ruven, you will be at the head of the troops. You are mighty, 
you are powerful, as the Baharal of Prague says, not only should you participate, you should participate fully according to your unique ability in this arena of warfare. I will lead the Jewish people in battle. We together will conquer the land of Canaan. And you will be there with me on the front lines. Our sages tell us that if Moshe Rabbeinu had led the Jewish people in battle, it would have been utterly miraculous. There wouldn't have been a fight. Our enemies would simply have collapsed and melted. Unfortunately, however, in the end, that was not to be. Moses was proscribed from the Promised Land. And because he was not allowed to enter, it was Joshua, Yahushua, who led the Jewish people. Yahushua's conquest required battle. There was a war. It didn't simply miraculously unfold, although there were many miracles. So why was Moshe Rabbeinu placing the crack troops the super able warriors of the tribes of God and Reuven at the front lines if there wasn't even going to be a battle? And the answer is, you still need to go through the motions. Hashem expects us to do everything within our power and ability to follow the laws of nature. You don't just rely on miracles. You do everything you could and then you rely on miracles. It was Israel's first Prime Minister, David Ben-Gurion, who said, we don't believe in miracles, we rely on them. And yet, it's no secret that he made great efforts to bolster the defense of the nascent country at the time. One pilot in the Israeli Air Force, a chassid, a Lubavitch chassid, said to me, before I take off, I planned and planned and then planned. And then I trained and trained and then trained. And I ensured that everything was precisely ordained and arranged for my mission. And then he said, after that, I prayed. After having done everything I could, and he's a pilot with many combat missions on his wings. All Baruch Hashem, successful. He said, I did everything I could. Then I would pray. My friends, pray and pray passionately. But that does not preclude us from doing everything we can. In fact, that's what we must do. That's what Hashem wants. The laws of nature are such as that we take every possible precaution, doing everything in our power. And then we rely on Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu felt satisfied that he placing the best warriors Israel had, the crack troops at the front lines, he felt satisfied he'd done his part. Now we go forward and we watch the miracles unfold. When Moshe Rabbeinu begins to deliver the sermons we call the Book of Deuteronomy, Mishnah Torah, the repetition, restatement of the Torah, from the day of Rosh Chodesh Shvat and onward, 
This is how Moshe Rabbeinu occupied himself during the last five weeks of his life, teaching the Jewish people, preaching to the Jewish people, exhorting the Jewish people, uplifting the Jewish people, inspiring the Jewish people, restating the Torah in a manner that would be able to raise their spirits as they sought to raise and establish the land we call Israel. Moshe Rabbeinu at this point knows that he will not be crossing the Jordan River. Things are very different than they were a few months ago. Moshe Rabbeinu knows that there will be a battle. He instructs Yehoshua. He empowers him with a message of faith and courage. That Yehoshua Tzuvesi Yehoshua is now crowned, fully crowned with all six virtues. Yehoshua is prepared for battle. And as the Orachayim emphasizes, yes, Yehoshua is told that God will do battle for you. You should know, you must know, and you must remember, Hashem Aleikeichem Hu Hanilchem Lochem. Those are the final words of Parsha Dvarim. But at the same time, Yehoshua needs to be ready for a battle. And so Moses began to rethink his strategy. And he said, is that the best we could do? Is placing God and Reuven at the front lines the most effective way to prepare for these battles of conquering Canaan? And then, reaching deep into his creative genius, he realizes that such expert warriors, such crack troops, would be better employed or deployed as a unit onto themselves. And this way they'd be nimble and quick. They'd be able to come in with lightning speed, execute their missions, eliminate the enemy, and then allow for the regular army to come in and complete the conquering of the land. And so, Moshe Rabbeinu, now realizing that they were not only ordained to do everything possible, but in fact, that to some degree, nature had to take its time and things had to unfold in somewhat of a normative nature and fashion. Moshe Rabbeinu now reaches deeply into himself and conceives this notion of commandos and special forces the Sayeret Matkal of the Jewish people. And that's the story of Bnei God and Bnei Ruvain, where Moshe realizes they could do more to utilize their natural wherewithal. They could do more to harness their unique ability of the Torah Zroya Im Kodkrit. You know, my friends, this illuminates the verses of the Parsha with such clarity. Rebbe's Rebbe's vision of all of these verses and how they all fit in perfect synchronicity is it's just astounding. It's breathtaking. But it's also instructive. It's instructive for us. I speak to people, all kinds of people, all the time. I speak to people about coming to Shul, participating in communal prayer. I speak to people about doing what they can during these challenging times. I keep saying to myself and others, you can't wait for the storm to end. You need to learn to dance in the rain. And to learn to dance in the rain means you can't simply sit with your hands folded, cowering in fear under your bed. Yes, precautions need to be taken. Some of the people I speak to, they say, I'm, I'm trusting in God. What precautions? Masks, masks, social distancing, Peh! 
If God wants me to get sick, I get sick anyway. And to them I say fiddlesticks. That's patently ridiculous. We have to take every possible reasonable measure. Moshe Rabbeinu did. It's the right thing to do. But at the same time, once every reasonable measure has been taken, once we are socially distanced and following the law, working within the operating principles of never more than 30% occupancy of the show, with everybody at bay and everybody masked, for heaven's sake, you've done your part. Now you rely on Hashem. We need faith, not fear, to govern our lives. Yehoshua's instructions, the final words of Moshe Rabbeinu, after he's done everything he can, including, including conceiving of a military strategy that is brilliant, genius, to ensure success. The final words are, Do not allow yourself to be governed or controlled by fear. In the end, it's your faith that will carry you. Faith, not fear, my friends, must become our mantra. We will overcome these difficult and challenging and turbulent times. And Bezrat Hashem, we will all be well. But we can't be well if we are controlled by fears. We must be well, living with courage and trust in Hashem. Shoimer mitzvah lo yoda davara. Those are not empty words when we say that one who observes a mitzvah will not know of harm. Hashem in His Torah ordains that we take natural measures. I'm all for it. But once natural measures have been taken, there's no room for anxiety. And it's time to pull ourselves up by our stroop, our, our stroop, how do they call them? Bootstraps. It's time for us to step forward with a sense of optimism, a sense of surety. We've done our part. Now, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, please do yours. You are the Reifei Basar. You are the healer of all flesh. You are Mafli Lasais. You Almighty have wonders that you shower us with. Keep us healthy. Keep us well. And allow us to move forward with faith and optimism. Allow us, Be'ezrat Hashem, to see your love as we demonstrate to you our loyalty. Allow us, Hashem, to see your salvation as we come forward to you in sanctity. And let us together hope that as we soldier ahead in these challenging and turbulent times, that that serves as the final catalyst for a global transformation for now in these nine days in which we commemorate the loss of our Beit HaMikdash and the crushing exile that we have together endured for millennia. This is the perfect time for Yehovchu Yomimelu, the transformation of those days into not days of darkness and gloom, but days of light and geula, redemption, with the coming of Mashiach, Bimheira, Obi Amenu, Amen. I hope that these words of Torah and these sentiments of faith dedicated in the memory of Benny Karakowski, Dovber Ben Eliyahu Aryeh, served today to bring him joy, nachas, on high, and that we meet again 
speedily and in our days with the coming of Mashiach. Amen. Thank you.